Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Leave. Leave the house. Bill Paxton was sure. Sure the cops were going to stop him. There was four ultimate enemies. Not just a theatrical enemies. When I was growing up, there were Halloween things for kids that were legitimately scary. Hey guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a lady coming over here. You got a, yeah. you gotta go get a sixer. Yeah, I got a sixer. Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten <laughs> Horror Podcast. That's right. For the month of October, each week, Forgotten Cinema will be sinking their teeth into a horror movie. Each episode, we will highlight a horror movie that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, maybe audiences were too scared to see it in the theaters, or the movie simply didn't catch on in its initial run. We'll break down all aspects of the movie as well as discuss what we love or perhaps don't love about it. But we'll always suggest that you revisit the movie. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are available. I did it. I'm so proud of you. Woo! Are you scared? I, I didn't do scary voice because uh, I don't know. You didn't. I'm sorry. Does that, I, I'll that put bother a voice you? filter on you. So oh, shut up. Did you want me to do it again to no, be scarier? Right. No, I don't need to. I don't need to do it a twentieth time. Well, you chose this movie. This <laughs> shut up. You chose this movie this week, so the floor is yours, Mr. Butler. All right. This week, and I'm very excited about this. We are doing. The 1976 horror film Burnt Offerings, directed by Dan Curtis, starring Karen Black, Oliver Reed, Burgess Meredith, Eileen Eckhart, Betty Davis, and Lee Montgomery. So what I'm most excited about this film is, A, it is a film I I do enjoy, but it is a film field not only has never seen, but really never heard of. This is correct. I had never heard of this movie, uh, and I had never seen this movie until a couple days ago. For this cast. So temper that enthusiasm, Butler. I think this is the only one that you have never. There's a couple you may not have seen, but this is the first one you've never heard of. And there's a couple on this list that I've that I have never seen or heard of. This is uh, you. You put Trilogy of Terror on that, right? I did. Because that's the same people that did that. Did this. Yes. Okay. But you know of Trilogy of Terror, even if you haven't seen it, right? I, I've I heard of it. I I had never seen it, but right. I had heard the movie before. I had never heard of Burn Offerings. All right. So Burn Offerings, for those that don't know. Tell them what it's about. It's about Ben and Marion Rolf, who rent a big old country mansion during the summer for themselves and their son, Davy, who's about 12 years old, and Ben's aunt Elizabeth, played by Betty Davis. For some reason, Marion feels a connection to this house, and despite Burgess Meredith and Eileen Eckhart's characters, Arnold Allardyce and Roz Allardyce being a little creepy and <laughs> asking them to kind of take care of their mother during the entire summer that they're away because they're going to stay in the house. Basically, Ben is convinced by Marion they need to stay in this house for the summer. They're only, it's only going to cost them $900 for the entire summer. It's kind of too good a deal to pass up. I didn't get that. They were paying them $900 to stay at the house? They were going to pay the Allardyces $900. So Okay, so they were just... Why are they at the house over this? Just they wanted a summer. They home. just wanted a summer getaway. Okay, all right, good. Uh, once they move in, Marion kind of becomes obsessed with taking care of the mother upstairs, uh, Mrs. Allardyce, who is supposedly an 84 year old woman who stays up in her room and never leaves. Marion is required to clean the room and give her her supper every night. 
During their time at the the house, Ben and Marion go through some changes. Ben becomes more violent, more angry. Marion becomes more obsessed over keeping the house clean and making sure everything is proper and put away and and neat. And it's all kind of done at the expense of Davy, uh, who poor kid can't catch a break. <laughs> <laughs> poor, uh, poor Davy, which we'll get into as we discuss the movie, I'm sure. But as time goes on, they kind of you kind of as the viewers and Ben and Marion kind of learn that the house is feeding off of their negative energies and their pain. And anytime someone gets hurt or suffers, the house repairs itself or gets a little cleaner than it was before. Well, it seems like there's like a blood sacrifice that they need. Right. Right. As time goes on, Marion kind of shifts to become more a part of the house than before at the expense of her family and will sacrifice pretty much anything to get the house to be the way it was or should be. And basically the last half of the movie is is Ben attempting to kind of figure out what's going on with his wife and getting him and his son Davy out of the house before it's too late. Right. Which we'll get into cuz I had some issues. Right. But that's essentially the plot of the movie. All right. So let me break down some production facts. I don't have any. I don't have any because uh, for some reason uh, we stopped. We stopped uh, recording any kind of numbers past 1982 for some of these sites. All I have for you is that it's called Burn Offerings. (laughs) (laughs) The runtime, 116 minutes rated PG, which makes sense because there was no PG-13 back then. Uh, Because this is probably a PG-13 movie Mm. for now. The release date is a little all over the place. Now, Various places I have was the release date was October 18th, 1976. But that's, that's a Monday. That's so, what I found pretty much everywhere. And then well. and then I have one thing that just says January 1976, which doesn't make any sense. Then I have that. So I have that it premiered in August, late August, and then it opened in New York City on the 26th of September. And then this October date, you saw the April date, but that's the, when it was in France. Right. That was right. the first date I'd seen. Yeah. So honestly, let's just say the release date was 1976. So because I don't have any hardcore facts on the release date, I have nothing in terms of like what came out around it, what came out that weekend. I, I don't even know if this thing was in like maybe this was in the 10 theaters. I don't know. But what I do have, I have in that year, I have um, just a couple of highlighted movies based upon the it was a horror movie um, and then the people that are in it. So, for instance, like Burgess Meredith, you talked about is in this movie, plays uh, the, the brother. So Rocky comes out on the 21st of November. So he has this movie. And then I guess a month later he has Rocky. And I mean, that I only know Burgess Meredith from Rocky. Right. In terms of, um, you know, I, I also know him from clash of the Titans and from, and everyone probably knows him from grumpy old man, the two, the two movies there. Right. Um, he plays the father of Jack lemon on the 16th of November. You have Carrie. I just figured that's a horror movie. It's a big horror movie. And then you also on the 25th of June, you had the omen. So, I mean, if you couple it with this movie, I know that a lot of people like Burn Offerings. I know it's like a cult classic. Mm -hmm. So you had a pretty good year of of horror movies that year, 76, uh, with The Omen and Carrie. I also have in here on the 23rd of June was Logan's Run. And the reason why I have Logan's Run here is because the screenwriter for this for Burn Offerings wrote the um, wrote the script and the book. For I believe he wrote the book for Logan's Run. Uh, no, he did not. No, write no, I'm sorry. He wrote the script. He wrote. He adapted it. Um, no, he did write. No, he did write Logan's Run. I have here that he wrote it with somebody else. Yes. Okay. With yeah. maybe with yeah. somebody else. He, but I had another name attached to that. No, novel. he had. He wrote the book with Charles Clayton Johnson. Okay. Yep. That's the name I had. There. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it, I'm I'm talking about William F. Nolan. He he's he's the screenwriter and he uh for for Burn Offerings. Uh. Yeah. So that's what I have in terms of like what came out around it. 
So you mentioned it was directed by Dan Curtis. Real mm-hmm. quick, uh, he uh, is from TV mostly. He did a lot of Dark Shadows, which is my wife's. I think I've mentioned that she's like Dark Shadows. She likes the show, the old show. Uh, she always tries to get me to watch it, and I won't. That's so. cool, I guess. It's really slow. And you talked about uh, Trilogy of Terror. He did that as well, as, as I talked about. Uh, William F. Nolan, who's a writer, along with Charles Clayton Johnson, also uh, they both were worked on Trilogy of Terror as well. Music by Bob Colbert. Colbert? I think it's Colbert. Colbert? But it's, yeah, okay. He is, again, Dark Shadows, Trilogy of Terror, which I like. Eh, music was some, so okay. I mean, it wasn't, it was horror movie. So when it, when it plays, it's yeah. not bad. And I then, do like that it's kind of like, it's all kind of like a group effort. Like these guys all work together a lot. Yeah. So it's like, hey, you guys want to make a movie? And, and I know I keep saying Trilogy of Terror, but they've, in Dark Shadows, they've done a lot of other things together. Um, and then cinematography was Jacques Marquette. That's how I would say. Okay, it. he's done again. TV, Mikhail's Navy, Maverick. These are older shows for some of our younger listeners. Uh, and the Law and Order movie, which I liked. <laughs> <laughs> and he also did Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, which I thought was interesting. I had that in there. So, um, I know you went through the cast. I don't know if anybody, because these are all older actors, so some people might not know them. You t- talked about the the Rolf family. Uh, Karen Black is Marion Rolf. Oliver Reed is Ben Rolf. Lee Montgomery is David Rolf. So Karen Black is actually a Oscar nominee for Five Easy Pieces. That was what, that's what Jack Nicholson. She's in the House of a Thousand Courses, which I know you watched the other day. I did because I'm going to Universal Orlando. Did you recognize her? Absolutely. Like okay. right off the bat. I was like, ah! Yeah, okay. Um, she's an easy writer at Nashville. She's done a ton of stuff. She's actually really big uh, in the horror community because she did a lot of these movies. I don't want to say right after this, but maybe around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so she she is a quote unquote icon in, in that in that genre. Uh, Oliver Reed as Ben Rolfe, who if you ever seen the movie Gladiator, uh, he played Proximo. Uh, Oliver Reed actually died during the making of Gladiator, and they had to do a lot of uh, digital, I guess, digital art artistry to kind of keep him in the movie. But he's also from Oliver, The Brood, The Damned. So uh, he's an older actor, older English actor. If you watch a lot of older movies, I'm sure you would recognize him in a lot of different things. The kid Lee Montgomery. He's actually, he's in Ben. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. For those who don't know, Ben is about a young man who develops a relationship with a rat. And the rat's name is, is it Rat Ben? The Rat's Ben, because it's a sequel to Willard. So right, Willard's right. first, no, then no, no, Ben. No, 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 Will, Well, you mean talking about, but Willard was made last. Made, Willard was made. Willard came out before Ben. Okay. You're, ben I'm, is I'm the thinking sequel of the re- to Willard. I'm thinking of the remake. You're thinking of the remake. Okay, yeah. All right. So anyways. That's that he was in bed and he's been mostly TV stuff. He's also in girls just want to have fun if you're into that uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, Betty Davis, who Mike talked about. I mean, I, I, I would hope you know who Betty Davis is. She's a two time Oscar award winner uh, for Jezebel and Dangerous. Um, if you don't know, she's also in All About Eve. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? She's a she's a pretty big deal. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would hope you would. It, Look her up because we're not going to. That's not what this is. This if you're is watching about. a podcast about film, listening to a podcast. Yeah, I always say watching. <laughs> if you're listening to a podcast about film, shame on you if you don't know who Betty Davis is. <laughs> um, so you already talked about Burgess Meredith. I already said what he's in. Eileen Heckart, who plays her sister, she's in the Bad Seed, and she actually won an Oscar for Butterflies Are Free. She's an older actress as well. And yeah, and, and I, I got one more guy in here. Mm-hmm. The um, the maintenance guy. Okay. Who's just like, I don't do it. Yeah, like I my one of my notes one of my notes in here is uh 
He's like, one of my notes, where is it? He's like, Handyman has too many teeth. Because he, he has like five. <laughs> but um, that's Dub Taylor from Gunsmoke and Bonanza. I don't know why, but I just put that in there. So if you're interested and you see this movie, you're always wondering who that dude is. His name's Dub Taylor. You also got Anthony James as a chauffeur. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't write pretty, him down. What's he in? What's, what Star Trek episode is he in? He's, uh, oh, he's not in Star Trek, <laughs> although he looks like he could be in Star Trek. Anthony James, um, a lot of people might know him from Unforgiven. He played a lot of Western bad guys. Um, I think the Unforgiven was one of his last roles. Yes, it was his last role. <laughs> but he played a lot of bad, sleazy people in uh, all these different westerns. Oh, he was in a Star Trek <laughs> sub Commander Thay. I actually had neutral zone episode. Okay, well, who cares about that? I actually have a Star Trek fact for you. Ooh, what's that? So Charles Clayton Johnson, who we just talked about, co-wrote this and or Logan's Run co-wrote Logan's Run. Yeah, not this Logan's Run. He wrote. The Man Trap episode for the 60s Star Trek show. Oh, TV I like the show. Man yes. Trap. So, yeah, I'm nice. bringing the Star nice. Trek Look facts that, now. Trek you like facts. that? Uh, and that is probably it for this facts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we can get into a couple of things. Uh, most of the people that made this movie have pa- passed on. So, you it's know, an older film. Right, right. You recommended this to me. I did. Okay. So, when was the last time you saw it? So I had to watch this for um, in college. So I took a class on horror films. Okay. Um, because every semester, um, the film department would do a class based on genre. So, and, and this is the one they picked. This for was horror. It was a whole class on horror films. We okay. had to watch 15, 16 horror films. When did burnt offerings come into the to the to the, the thing here? This was about halfway through the class. Okay, all right. So I had to watch it for that, and I thought it was a really interesting choice for a horror movie, um, for the horror movie class, because I'd never heard of it. But it is, what I like about it is it's different than most horror movies. It's not, it doesn't play for scare factor. It just kind of plays for kind of, it just kind of makes you uncomfortable watching this family kind of tear itself apart, kind of. It's just, I, I remember it not being... I mean, I do remember it being slow. It is a slower film. It is. Which I know you've meant you you kind of mentioned to me. <laughs> we well, try I, to save most. I, I don't mind. I don't mind slow. But when a movie is 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 deliberate and it just feels like it's not moving. I don't know. You could be you could be deliberate, but still not moving. So here's the thing about that. The first time I saw it. OK. Much like most of your viewings, it <laughs> did take me two days to watch this. <gasps> the first time I saw it because it was really slow. You fell asleep. I did. <laughs> I, I watched this in one sitting. I'm proud of you. You that's, should be. That's, you I should didn't be. think you would. Uh, this time I watched it, I was much more in, in interested in it. I was I was definitely watching it a little bit more, a little bit. I mean, obviously, I'm taking notes on it. I took notes on it the last time. I found the film to move a lot quicker this time than the first time I saw it. Really? Yes. Okay. Which I figured maybe it would move slower because I knew what would happen. Right. I also... Well, it was interesting that it, we've seen other movies that I've only seen once in a long time ago. More than any of those movies, I remembered things that weren't in this film. Um, <laughs> okay. So for some reason, when I first selected this film, I had the picture of red vines in my head the whole time. Red vines never appear in the whole the thing. The candy? Not the candy. The candy's <laughs> awful. Red vines. Evil twisters. <laughs> red vines. Like from that, that, that looked like from War of the Worlds, the remake one. Kind of like those yeah. overtaking the house. So I don't know why that was in my head. Okay. Um, but if you look at the poster, it does look like there's kind of like roots of a tree kind of taking over the poster. So maybe that's why. I also didn't remember the um, chimney crushing Davy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, at this time, if well, you, watch you don't remember Davy just standing there, not moving. No, I didn't remember that. 
Why is it that? Uh, it's like move away. <laughs> Sorry. See, go ahead, go ahead, keep going, keep going. But there's there's some stuff like I I didn't remember. I didn't remember the chauffeur at all. So like there's some stuff like I was like, oh, okay, I don't remember this part or that part. The chauffeur is from the the chauffeur is actually pulled from Dan Curtis's childhood. Did you know that? I, I read that. Yes. Yeah. So like he had that image. He I guess he was at his. Not, it wasn't his. Was it his own mother's funeral? Yes. Yeah. And uh, it just this chauffeur was laughing and it scared him. So he used that subplot for here, which not unlike David Lynch using the woman that was naked in the middle of the street for Blue Velvet. Right. Yeah. Right. So so you know Curtis pulled that for this movie, which I always appreciate as a writer. You know, taking from your life. I wasn't like I liked the chauffeur. He was creepy, but I didn't like it. I didn't think it fit with the rest of what the house was doing. Like it, it kind of made all right. What is this house? What's the extent of the house? Well, power? here's the here's the thing with that. Um, and I'm not saying I need everything explained to me, mm-hmm. but again, I need everything explained to me because I don't understand what the house needs and wants. I I can figure it out or yeah. how what the house is trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um. If the house is trying to kill people, like because the house basically kills the kid, I don't know how the house kills Aunt Elizabeth, which is Betty Davis's character. He just sucks the well the same I, way he's killing have, everybody else, sucking the life out of him. Okay, but that but so then the the, <laughs> the house threw uh Ben out the window. Like, I, I, oh, I think Marion threw. Well, she wasn't marrying at that point. Uh, yeah, For some reason, she was too. the old lady. Because, because I don't know if we talked about this in the in the plot, but the whole thing is they say the two brother and sister tell her tell them, "Hey, listen, this is the house, but our mother still lives upstairs in the attic. Don't bother her. Just leave out food for her." I mentioned it. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's hardly a catch. No, it's not a catch. It's our mother. What about her? An 85-year-old woman who could pass for 60. Yes, now what she's trying to say is that our mother never, ever leaves the house. Well, she never leaves her room. Actually, isn't that so? Oh, she'd be no trouble at all. And you never see her. And it's like this big thing where they're low. And and she's like, at some point, Karen Black, uh, excuse me, Marion, you can't trust her. Very, very quickly in in the movie, you can't trust her because... She's saying she saw the old lady yet. We have not. Right. Things are happening. The house is repairing itself. The house is improving itself. And yet they're they're all buying into the fact that she's saying, like, I just did a few touch ups and I cleaned here and there. And they're like, okay, uh, okay." Like she comes out at one point to the pool after they do the pool. She's like, "It's, it's repairing itself. It's making itself. And then and then you see her the next scene. And she's like, I just did a couple scrubbing, scrubbing up the concrete. And at that point, you're like. She's the bad guy. Like, like at that point, you know what I mean? Like, she's not trustworthy. I, yeah, I don't think they're trying to hide that. fact. No, I get that. Yeah. My whole point of bringing that up is then at the end of the movie, she suddenly is like, let's just leave. Let's just go. Let's get out of here. And I like, think I think that's just it's it's one thing to see the house kind of torture or your husband's aunt. But it's another thing to see your own child almost die. Like, that's her limit. But then the hold becomes too great after that. So it's like, all right, now it's too late. No, I get that. But what I'm saying is I want to I want to see the I want to see that she's struggling with being uh, possessed by the house. You want it to not be so easy, which it, it seems like right from right well, away. It's just like, yeah, right. it seems like that's assumed. It seems like we're to assume that that she's struggling with this. That's not something that she's not. She's not a willing participant to let the house take her over or whatever. 
I, Seems be, pretty willing. That's what I'm saying. There's no struggle until the very end. And yeah. then <laughs> my thing at that point is like uh, with much like with because there's a very obviously a very Amityville horse, you know, kind of thing. Like the movie a, is very Amityville horror meets psycho. Very, very, very like, you know, anything where like the house is possessed and like anything where the house is the problem. The house is a reason. I'm always like, just leave. Like like when they're like, we got to leave. First thing in the morning. If the house, if you're worried about the house, why are you waiting to till the fir- first thing in the morning? We're out of here. No, no, no. We're out of here right now. Like, but that's just me watching the movie. That that's kind of like you know yelling at the screen kind of thing. Well, that's that's horror movies. I no, mean, I get you. You're not gonna have yeah. the drunk like they'll get out of. That's action movies. It's horror right, movies. It's right. mob movies. It's anything where you know the person's gonna get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get you. Did you. Speaking of the house, this house was used in a view to a kill. I did read that as well. And and a bunch of other things. Phantasm, uh, a couple of the, another movie too. A more recent movie I used it in. Did you want a James Bond, another James Bond connection? <laughs> Go ahead. You oh, no. Already I up? already know it. I already know it. Go ahead. But you can do it. All right. Oh, that's right. It's my turn for movie facts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Oliver Reed was actually in the running to play James Bond after Sean Connery. But Oliver Reed had already by that time had a huge alcohol problem and was fighting and just getting into as many bar fights as he can. And both the Broccoli Estate and Ian Fleming decided that it was too much of a risk to bring Oliver Reed on because he was as unlike James Bond as you can be. And at that point, all of his drinking and fighting was public. So they couldn't make him a gentleman at that point. They couldn't hide it. Hold on. Hold on. I get that. But like, if you watch old James Bond movie, he's slapping women around in those movies. Like, And they're all like, oh, James. And he's like... It's it's like, <laughs> come on. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be gentlemen. That's what gentlemen do. Come on now. Come on now, Broccoli Estate. <laughs> um, also, Oliver Reed, I don't think would be the president of Betty Davis's fan club. <laughs> she does not like him. I have, oh, quote, no. possibly one of the most loathsome human beings I've ever had the misfortune of meeting. Which, if you go, I, you, I know you probably looked at it, but when you go into it, I guess they're, they were always up all night and keeping her up. Him and his stuntman, and I guess one time they had her food cart was out there. You got Mike shaking his head violently. Yeah, like, I know, you know, I know. Yeah, I guess they her lunch or her dinner cart was out there, and they came back from drinking, and they, and they both like made a bet, like see if they can go who can ride it faster, basically destroying all her food and like <laughs> racing it down the hallway. So I, I can pretty much understand why she doesn't like it, but she doesn't like she didn't like Karen Black either. She didn't pay her her due oh, respect. I know, I'm actors. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to bring this up, but Betty Davis seems like a real diva. Well, understand this. She's this is she's older. She comes from it's forty years past when she's like you know the the bell of the ball kind of thing. I get right. that. Come on, we we get that all the time. I, was, I get that being in my forties, talking with kids that are you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, who think they know everything about everything, and that's fine. I was like that when I was but a teenager. When you read about the drama that also happened in uh, What's Eating Baby Jane and all that, right. like maybe that's just always been her. Maybe like once she hit stardom, like it was just on. Listen, listen, actors. <laughs> I, I, I love actors. I love working with actors. I love developing stories, but. Uh, there are some actors that are very difficult to work with because they're on a different they're on a different playing field in terms of when they're performing and they have to they have to they have to experience emotions and you know this you're the actor I'm not explaining this but you know <laughs> what I'm saying like they 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 are people that in order for them to do their craft they are a certain way and that's fine but that's I know Butler hates them but that's fine <laughs> I think acting and doing that in character and just always being spoiled constantly like it's not that's not part of your craft that's not part of your form that's not your method that's just being spoiled that's being a spoiled child 
and well, disrespectful. We have to remember, brother. They're, these are all people that are big time stars in their hometown, and then they, you know what I mean? They're the they're the king. You know what? Then they have to go off and act that same way because that's the only way that they're going to get project that confidence. You know that spoiled bratty babies. <laughs> that being said, Betty Davis is fantastic in this movie. I'm not gonna not not gonna shoot down her her skill. That's one of the things I think that elevates this movie. The story is pretty simple. Maybe I mean obviously the effects are hokey and stuff like that. Well, like it which have one? A huge the, budget. Well, they don't have a lot of effects except like when the when house, the house is repairing is itself, itself. That's actually pretty cool in the rain. I thought that was done well. The boards on the house, yeah, that, the I like falling that. off. I was like, yeah, yeah but the, yeah. the boards is that's cool, right? Um, yeah, the acting in this is well. I, I actually like Oliver Reed in this movie. Oliver Reed's really, yeah. really good in this movie. I mean, I, I guess Karen Black is good. I just don't. I don't have seen a lot of Karen Black, so I don't because I don't. I've watched a lot of her movies. She's good. It's just hard to. She doesn't have a lot to do, like other than being like someone you don't like. Yeah, because you're always suspicious of her. True, which, which she does really well. You're always suspicious of her. True. But um, I do really like Ben and Davy's relationship in the film. I think they have a really good chemistry. Until he tries to kill him. Even after he yeah. tries to kill like, him. Yeah. Like that scene where he's like, hey, Davy, what's up? Sorry, I tried to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought that was funny, but it was still You're like, bros, I, right? I can like, you, you can see the emotion Oliver Reed's face. He plays it really well, which makes the drowning scene all the more kind of uncomfortable watching it. Yeah. Watching them go from this happy playing, like they have a really nice kind of fun father-son relationship and then all of a sudden just five seconds later he's he's like trying to drown him trying to kill him yeah yeah it's it's, that's a rough scene to watch it's the house it's the house i'm sorry you see it's all i can think of i i can't get it out of my head ben i know you so i know you didn't mean to do that the hell i did marion i wanted to hurt him do you understand that i wanted to hurt him you're punishing yourself now, Davey's all right. He's all right. So this movie took place in the 70s. So I want to I actually want to talk about the the shooting style, because there was a couple things that I had noted that you might have some of the same. Notes I do. OK, <laughs> I'm not going to uh, we could do the obvious one, which is the 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 image itself. But I want to talk about because I looked this up and I don't know. Did you notice the headroom and the camera angles in the movie that I, there's a shift, I think, in terms of. When you watch movies now, what's most important is the eyes. It's not the top of the head. And you know, a lot of people try to keep. The, I remember even like 20 years ago when we were shooting and we went to New York Film Academy, me and my buddy, they would always talk about everyone in frame, entire head in frame, everything in frame. And now it's eyes, which I agree with because but in this one, it's like they're always make sure that they're they're They not only do they make sure that the entire head's in frame, yes. but they also make sure that the space above their head is in frame and which causes when you have a wide shot for like, especially in the beginning when they meet the brother and sister, they have the wide shots and they're low angle because they have to be far back in order to get. And it was very, I mean, I, I'm watching it and I wasn't like, it wasn't off putting, but I was like seventies. Like I yes. was like, you know what I mean? I, it was very indicative of that time of that time period. I would say not only seventies um, and it, it might be because of, of where all of the filmmakers came from. It was it was indicative of, I would say, TV shows of the 70s. Right. I was going to say one of my notes is that and that's because of the what looks like a white filter over the entire movie. It, it felt very TV movie ish. Yes. It felt like I was. And, and when I went through when I, you go through the list of Dan Curtis's work and, and it's all TV movies and they're horror, but they're most of them are all TV movies. So right. which I mean, you don't need a big there. budget director for this kind of a film. But it yeah, it, it looks like The Incredible Hulk or it, something like that. So. It's, 
Right. So I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm going, what the hell is over the front, the, the image? Is it a filter? Do they just, did they smoke everything? Like what is over? Cause at some time, especially when they're inside the house, outside, it's not so much, but inside the house, it is like, there is a giant puff of smoke, like just a haze over the entire thing. Well, it's most noticeable. This is this is my note. It's most noticeable at toward the beginning when she first puts the rugs down and they come home from grocery shopping yes. and she cleans the mirror. Yes, yes. That entire thing looks like they put Vaseline over the outer edges of it to make everything yeah. glow. And I don't know if that's because they want the house to look like it's got a glow, like oh, it's so nice, it's so beautiful, or because like that's just filming. That's just like oh, or like well, let's make it nice and romantic or, right. or whatever. But it does look like someone smudged the lens and the light just kind of yeah. It was like that scene, especially was not good, fun to watch. Well, I'm not. This is not my expertise in terms of the the production. It's not the technical aspects of the camera. But right. I will say that obviously color, the stock Kodak color stock changed from the 70s to 80s. Like there was a shift from the 60s to 70s, like almost like to a point where they where the 60s were stylized in terms of colors, mm-hmm. where in the 70s there was a push to just kind of like mute. And to saturate stuff, each decade or each each generation tries to go away from what the previous right, generation. That's how right, that's out. This is now, and yeah, right, right, right. So I think that that was part of it. But back in the seventies, because I I had to look all this up, <laughs> softer images were in favor, rejecting like just kind of like what the photography was like in the sixties and the trends from the sixties. You know, but because of the stock change, a lot of graininess was pushed in terms of like, that's what they wanted. Graininess in the image, which we both have talked about. We love in the right, 70s yeah. movies, like movies like, um, you know, oh, what's the word? Um, Three Days of the Condor or All, All the President's Men. Like those movies are like grainy. And but that's the subject matter. Those movies are like, you know, they, conspiracy. The grain movies. works. Right. Right, yeah. right. In terms of like what they use certain diffusion filters. So they'll use fog filters or low cons and double fogs to soften everything. So they could have been using that. They could have also been so sometimes they'll expose the negative to a weak amount of light just to fog it. So after, that could have all been done in post. That's called flashing. So they could have just done that as well. And they could have just just kind of like I, they did something. It's, yes. And I, it's I would say that it seems very, very much. I would assume that they flashed it because it seems like it's it's just after the fact, because there are times like because when that same scene you're talking about, when they come in from shopping. Mm hmm. If you if you remember, there is their shadows are like boom projected on the wall. Like there is a hard white light coming from the left of that frame because the railing of the of the stairwell is is up against the wall. Yes. Uh Ben's care Oliver Reed Ben is up his shadows up against it. Like there is a hard light coming that way. And I just noticed that and I'm like, okay, so there's a hard light on the left and this whole entire image is softened. So when I went into this, I'm thinking, I wonder if they actually did flash the entire negative and they just kind of like to soften it up. Now, whether that's bad or good, it, I guess we both noticed it. So it was both a note. I don't know. That's the style. So, I mean, I can't really knock it because they're not the only movie that did this. Right. I didn't... It wasn't bad. That was the worst scene. That scene, I think maybe maybe that's just when they flashed it. They flashed it too much. And well, they, yeah, yeah. Uh, the rest of it just kind of was like, eh, all right, kind mm-hmm. of very seventies. Yep, that was that was where it was like uh, that is too much. If the whole movie looked like that scene, I would have been like, this is mm-hmm. this is bad. So what else? I guess because I asked you already, like in terms of like when you last watched it. So do you did you did you like it more or less? How about that? Did I you? liked it more because I thought it moved a little faster, okay. and because I'm watching it 
I'm watching it having had an entire class in horror and since then kind of becoming more interested in it. Um, I think after I got out of college, I kept thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Evil Dead fan. And I know the story of Sam Raimi, how Sam Raimi made his break and how Bruce Campbell made his break. So I think out, out of college, my plan was at some point I'm going to have to write a horror movie to get, uh, to get somewhere just because it seems like the not the easiest route to go, but the, the most affordable way to go. Like you can do something where with a horror movie that's interesting and different and actually affects somebody's emotions and has a theme running through it. Because in a horror movie, a good horror movie has a good hard theme, which I think I've talked about before at the beginning is. Um, like when we started the podcast is I'm all about a theme running through a film. Your story can be great. Your acting can be great. But if you don't have a theme, if you don't have maybe not even a lesson to solve at the end, but a theme that you want to explore, I don't think you have a film or you don't have a complete film. Was that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a story guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talk about, I know you have said that you don't think I like horror movies. Uh, I don't, and I don't. I, I, but let me be. It's not that I don't like horror movies. I'm okay with you not liking horror movies. No, no, no. Because I don't want. I'm not okay with people thinking I don't like horror movies. (laughs) I'm saying that a lot of horror movies and some comedies, the the onus is put on the horror side or the comedic side rather than story side. So that's what turns me off. I absolutely agree, and that's why I don't like a lot of horror movies. You know, you don't see me. I'm not one of those guys that wears a horror T-shirt and like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I understand. But I have to cut you off. Right. I understand when like horror fans, I understand that people love that part of the horror movies. And that's great. I just don't come from that. That's that's not that's not where I come from. Right. Right. I mean, scares are cool. Effects are cool. Monsters are cool. (laughs) Um. But one of the things I love most about horror movies is when they can when they have something to say, they have a theme to explore. Um, I mean, uh, Evil Dead, I think, is the exception. It's just really fun. So what's like how it's made? OK, so what's your theme here for burn offerings to bring it back? I think it's family. I think it's it's don't mess with the house domestication. Yeah, it's it's liking objects more than your family or, okay. or not appreciating the family as much as you should. Ben, Marion, what is happening to you? Absolutely nothing. Then what the hell was that performance with Jamie back in there, hmm? This house just... It's more than I thought it would be. Marion, this house is not yours, sweetheart. We do not own it, do you understand that? But it's my responsibility for as long as we're here, isn't it? Good point. So here's, here's my thing, story-wise. Okay. We meet them driving to the house. That's the only time we meet them. And as far as I know, they're all cool. And oh, we're all we're so happy. We're family. Right. There's not. I mean, what you're saying, let me see that. Let me see that beforehand. Like, let me see that they're a family that's not really strong. They're a family that's teetering because of whatever, whatever, the, whatever story element you want to put in there. Right. That they're not a, a solid, uh, a solid family unit. So they're easily to be cracked. And this house is able to do that. Well, I think you get a little bit of hint to that with her need to be at this house. They're they're wanting to find a summer home. They're they're crappy station wagon. I think I think it's it's a money thing. It's like she wants this nice big place, and he uh, Ben hasn't like provided enough for his family, maybe, or maybe they're in a little bit of dire straits. But apparently, what I read was in the DVD commentary Ooh. for the hard to find DVD. <laughs> um, Dan Curtis has said that the movie actually started with an opening where they're in New York City. I saw that. Yep, and. They're walking around and they find the ad and that's how they're like, oh, this house, sorry, we should say. And they have a whole conversation about it. But he cut it, which is kind of ironic considering how we talk about how the movie is slow. It was boring. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
again, that's the story side of me. I just, I want, I want more of that. I want to know why, why did they not, why are they not strong enough to defeat this house or whatever the mother or, or, or what have you. And maybe we're missing, maybe we're missing the entire point of the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe because we're just a bunch of dorks that don't get it. Um, one of the things I have, one of my notes here, uh, I have is, uh, Davy just disappears from the story at times. Like he just goes like not before when like after the pool incident mm -hmm. and then he's like, oh, he's going to go painting at this. We don't see him until he's sleeping in the room and the heaters, the the heaters oh, you see him before that when before that is the scene in Ben's new study where he's going to go on a hike with on Elizabeth. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We're going to go painting. That's what I'm saying. Right. That's before the gas scene. Uh, OK, I think he, I, I have a he, note here that he disappears. I mean, he disappears for a few minutes, but I mean, it's explained where he is. I mean, he's with Aunt Elizabeth, who you also don't see for chunks of time. Yeah. Because you're following the other guys. And then she comes down. After, so in the movie, uh, Davy is almost killed by the house, we assume, or he possessed somebody to whatever to turn the heater on or to let the gas out. He is saved. And then the next day, Elizabeth comes down. She's like, I don't I was in his room. I don't remember being in his room. And, and it's like. Whoa, uh, nobody asked you. Well, why do you why are you just willingly talking about this? I think that's just supposed to be because now she's becoming senile. I think that's just showing her. Oh, age, OK, her. OK, which I, I really like that. I like her. I mean, Marion, yeah, gets some gray hairs and so does Ben. <laughs> but Aunt Elizabeth really goes from this, you know, 60 year old woman to a lady clearly in her, you know, late 80s which the makeup effects are really good because betty davis was only 64 i think i wrote down when this was filmed she's in her 60s yeah. so from 64 like the makeup effects made her look like she was you know well i don't think she has something. any makeup on yeah no yeah. but i really like that transformation and it obviously it speaks to how good an actress she is i thought she she does really go from from a fun fun aunt to tickle you know great grandma pretty easy mm -hmm. or pretty well uh, like she does a really good job of that so I like that they don't explain. Uh, I would like a little bit more about the history of the house, but I like that they don't explain everything to you. That you kind of have to figure it out as you go, which I mean, I know makes it slower and kind of yeah, like. Yeah, I, right, I wasn't. I, I'm still. And listen, I guess it doesn't need to explain everything to me. I'm still confused as to what exactly. Like, I'm like, what? So what happens next now? So the brother and sister stay in the house, and, the, and she's the old lady. I think the brother and sister stay in the house, enjoy time with. Do their they mother. get young? Again, I don't know if they get. Oh, maybe he's walking in. That would have been nice to see him walking up. Um, maybe him even having grayer hair, being a little older, right, and sicker. Um, but I would imagine they, you know, chill out, enjoy the weather, enjoy the house until it starts becoming disrepair again, and then put it on. Well, the and how long does that last? I have to go. You have, have to so go back questions. and look at so the again, other again, photographs. That's I like guess. that's like story stuff. I, I I mean that's what I want, and that's I get it. That's not what the movie's about. You're also adding another twenty minutes to the movie. No, I uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I I I understand that. Yeah. Um, I do like the photographs at the end. Though. I like that they they add. To the, I like that reveal at the end. Those photographs I, aren't family. When they show the f photographs, I kind of figured it was something to do. There there was something with them. And then obviously she opens up the music box. That's <laughs> my favorite. Like they don't just leave her alone. And then she goes right up there. Hey, what's up? Everything all right? Like it's just <laughs> like she told you to leave her alone. Um, but yeah, when she opens up the music box and then she kind of gets entranced by it and stuff like that, like that's the beginning. You know, I, you know, you knew you knew something was up. Like she's a uh, she's not a person you can trust. Uh, I'm talking about Marion. Absolutely. Which I kind of like. I like that. You know, usually in these kind of movies, it's the mother that's 
the good guy kind of and like you get the evil father or that um, father gets possessed and stuff like that i mean maybe that's so now no you're right started you're right. with the shining maybe and goes from there but you don't see the mother going bad very often and the father having to be the hero yeah usually it's both or there just is no father figure right uh and and in this ben isn't and he's not the stupid dad he's not the stupid husband he's not the guy who doesn't understand like about halfway through the film probably after on his unfortunate incident with davy he's something's going on yeah leave the house just leave just well, leave which, which he does when he sees the house repairing doesn't even let davy put shoes on yeah that was it's... i'm watching it going ow oh, that kid's feet that kid's feet that hurts that hurts that hurts it's like just leave leave the house I like that he just blows past her too when marion's outside going where are you guys going he's just like nope yeah i know and then the tree falls yeah i also really like the scene where um when she's just that crazy i think it's that same day after the funeral for Aunt Elizabeth, and she tells she tells Davy he's got to pour the coke in the goblet. And he's like, I don't want a goblet. And then she's like, Well, you can't have the bottle on the table. And then his he pours the coke in the goblet. And then if you watch, he just puts the coke bottle right back <laughs> on the table. I'm like, Oh yeah, Davy, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> when um the scene where they're swimming together, uh, Ben and Marion, and then he pretty much tries to rape her, mm. and and the yeah. and she's yelling at him. All I'm thinking, like, so they're out on the lawn. All I'm thinking, all I'm thinking is. I know there's mosquitoes. Like I, I know there's mosquitoes out, right? Like so, you must be getting bit. Like that's oh, yeah. all I'm thinking. Not, not the fact that what's happening in the scene. Never mind. Mind you, the fact that like he's pretty much, you know, forcing himself on her or the house or whatever. Like that was. Yeah, she looks to the house and she sees the light on. And she's mother's lights on. Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah, I'm just thinking. I know there's bugs out there. Come on. <laughs> Fun fact about that. Ooh, go. Kind, uh, kind of. Um, then what's fun about that? No, that's why I said kind of. Apparently, she was um, Karen Black was four months pregnant during this. She was during yes. the filming of the film. So when the scene in the pool where they have to skinny dip, it's it's in sure, shadows. Please. She's always wearing robes in the movie. Yeah, and then he's on top of her, kind of hiding her because she has a belly during the film. Right. So yeah. They have to hide it during the whole thing. It's fine. Which I think they did a pretty good job at. Yeah. Because you would never know watching the film. No, no, I I, I know, I understand. Do you know this is Stephen King's favorite horror film or one of his favorite horror films? I didn't know that. I did not know that. Well, he likes a lot of horror films, though. I, so I also feel like because this more than most is is very much a horror story, not reliant on jump scares, ghosts. I'm goblins, sure he probably monsters. read the he probably read the book too. He right. reads so much. It's that, it's very uh, psychological, which no. is nice. I I did appreciate that this movie was filmed all on location. That there's no sets. Which in a movie like this, I mean, I don't think they had a. Uh, a big budget. Like I said, I couldn't find any kind of budget the only th- in terms of back to back to the facts. I could not find anything about what, how much budget they had, mm-hmm. but uh, I know that it made $1.56 million, whatever that is. Uh, now, what, what do you think that is like 11, 12, it's probably somewhere in the low yeah. tens. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense though, that they probably had a low budget, like a real low budget, because if it's a TV, if, if these guys are all from TV and they're doing a feature, you know, and, and it, it's it's got to be low. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be. It can't be because and they say they don't. They didn't have a lot of money when they made this. Well, look at the actors, and I mean, they're all maybe they're older on purpose. Maybe they're you know ones that didn't come oh, with a huge thing. Big guy. I mean, they're, he is a pretty big. He, guy. They've yeah. got two. They've got two Academy Award winners in this movie. Well, that's the thing is they can get named talent that maybe don't don't pull a whole ton of money anymore, and especially sure. like Oliver Reed is really big and stuff like that. But at this point. He's his public incidents are very public. Yeah, true. Uh, so he probably doesn't cut like 
it, people well, might not want to work with them at this I, point. So they're like, all right. I don't know if they're public. They're probably in terms of how public is now. I'm sure they're public to the people that work there. You know what I mean? Like, well, public point where he didn't get on Her Majesty's Secret yeah, Service. But that's, come on, you, that's I, I mean, you don't think 007? You don't think 007 broccoli? You don't think they're a little nose in the air? They're like, you know, you know. Well, they definitely know like on. the secrets and stuff like that. Yeah, but so, so they so he was going to be up for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which went to George Lazenby. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Dynamite. Dynamite move. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't. Good I think job. He would have made a really cool James Bond. I think. I think so. He would have got the rough. He's got he the was rough kind of. Broad shoulder. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No. Absolutely. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Oliver Reed and his character Ben, he has the worst vacation ever. Every scene is him fixing that pool, which I, must have taken uh, forever. I know. Chopping those weeds and I'm like, this vacation sucks. It's not a vacation. Yeah. And then like he's. <laughs> I mean, I had I had a couple notes here because he's like he's cleaning the pool and I'm like, God, he's doing a shitty job. <laughs> I was thinking, and, and he jumps in and there's like leaves everywhere still. I'm like, you didn't do anything. You're still swimming in filth. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why are you jumping in the pool now? Come on, no, there's, you're gonna get something. You're gonna catch something. Yeah, and then like it clears up later, and then I'm thinking, okay, maybe that's supposed to be part of the house repairing itself. So well, that, he also does say that at that point the filters run. He's got the filter going in the chlorine. Yeah, but. There were like large well, the chunks fixes of itself. leaves yeah. in there, and he, and I'm watching him skim the pool, and I'm like, "You're not even getting close to him, dude." I, I know, I know, actors <laughs> act like you're skimming the pool. I, I have never done this pool. in my I life. <laughs> <laughs> I usually have someone do this for me. And uh, I've seen it. I've watched it from afar. I've waited patiently to go into the pool, but I've never skimmed. I also like that this film is brought to you by Coors. <laughs> oh, it's so. <laughs> oh, what was the other thing he said? They got ding dongs or something oh, like that. I think I got some ding dongs yeah. in here. Are the ding dongs or ring dings? Was something like was that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like ooh, ding dongs. All right. <laughs> That's how the house gets you. It goes out by shopping, gets ding dongs. By the way, the lights are on again. I kind of want ding dongs now. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, here's the thing. I don't know if I'd watch this again. I don't know if I'd be like, hey, what do you watch tonight? You know what? Let's watch burnt offerings. I don't even think I would suggest it. Here's the thing, though. No, I said here's the thing. <laughs> All right. Here's here's a thing to your thing. <laughs> it's a film from the 70s. I think it's I mean, we both love film and I think it's still tough to watch something that's older from the 70s because it, they're they're a little slower. If you watch something from maybe the 30s, the 40s or even some of the 50s, it's romanticized. They're a little quicker. They've got they've got bombastic soundtracks. They've got all this. And then toward the 60s and the 70s, you get slower films. Mm-hmm. I love The French Connection, but if I'm bored, I'm not going to yeah, uh, put but, The French Connection but, in there. But, but here, with The French Connection, like I understand that. I'm not comparing this movie to no, The no, French no, Connection, no, no. by I, the way. I get, that's not what I'm saying. I get that. But if you put The French Connection on, or if it's on, you'll watch it. You'll be, you'll, before you know, you'll be 30 minutes in going, I'm still watching this but movie. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying you just never start it. I'm saying, yeah, I don't. Well, well, so if you if Burn Offerings was on the TV, let's say three or four years from now, right? And it was like kind of toward Halloween time, you wouldn't go. Yeah, maybe I'll give it a second no, chance. No, really, I was a little bored, uh, and that might just be me. Like I said, I think I think the fact that because all my questions and all my what yeah, I've talk, answered, it's about story. And like I said, like uh, there's stuff I liked. It I I like that I watched the movie. I'll never mm-hmm. regret watching. I'm not gonna regret that I watched the movie. <laughs> but to your point about all those older movies like when when people now or me and you or whoever is when you flip on like criterion channel i'm not even criterion that's not a good example 
anytime someone's talking about movies from the 30s and the 40s and all those, well, you're watching the good movies. You're watching the best movies that have been out there during that week, that that decade. You're watching the stuff that always that translates over time. Like people will be watching Raiders of the Lost Ark for 150 years because you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's timeless and because it, it, it goes on. So we're not seeing movies that like the whole reason we're probably watching burn offerings is because you saw it in, in your class, but also because it became a cult classic. Yes. Okay. Like I'm sure there are tons of movies that might even be better than this that never really, I'm, I was about to do never really hooked on with it on for a variety of reasons, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? But like, that's why we're here, but we'll never hear from them because they just didn't stand the test of time. So they're too forgotten. All right. Which will be a, another podcast I will do. Forgotten, forgotten, forgotten. It's <laughs> a big echo. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, because I talked about Three Days of the Condor and all the presidents spent, and I brought those up. Those movies are classics. Yes. And you would watch, I mean, those are movies that if someone's like, oh, I want to watch movies, those are movies I'm recommending because they're classic films. So, I think that this movie is because, again, it's a cult classic. And that's why we are what we watched it. But like there are probably movies very similar to Burn Offerings from the 70s that are not cult classics and we'll never hear from again. That's true. But I think that's what sets Burn Offerings apart from most other horror films that somebody would recommend. Like if someone recommended to me like or someone told me, hey, Mike, give me something like a horror. I like horror movies, but I want something different. Yeah. It's got a strong cast. It's got I a strong that. cast. Yep. It's got a good movie. It's got a different different kind of plot than most films. It's not about a slasher. It's not about a monster. It's not about a ghost. You know, watch this. It's a little different. It's a little slower, mm -hmm. but it's interesting. It's intriguing. Mm -hmm. It's a little off-putting just in terms of the character work and the acting. It's it's the acting that makes you uncomfortable, not maybe maybe the scares. I think this movie would appeal people. I think you would suggest this movie to somebody who loves horror films and has never seen a lot of the older horror films. Yes. And like somebody like who comes and see it chapter two. Oh my God, I love horror movies. You're like, well, watch some older movies. Watch watch some of these movies. I, I yeah. can see you suggesting that. I'm not suggesting this movie to somebody who is not into horror films because then because if they're not into horror films, they probably have no idea who Karen Black is. You know what I mean? They probably have no idea like anything that Dan Curtis has done because he's primarily done horror movies and they're well, albeit TV movies, but he's primarily done horror movies. Yes. So I think this movie appeals more to people who love those type of films. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's all I got. <laughs> really tough when there's not a lot of product like it's really tough when there's no information like i love like looking like i love finding out like you know like oh when this movie came out all that stuff i like hearing you know but like nothing nothing so it happens when they're forgotten this is a true forgotten film which is probably means we're gonna have like four views with the listen. reason <laughs> <laughs> oh four views oh listen, man i would hope that more people want to watch this this because they've never heard of this movie listen, to this. listen, listen to, this. to this listen to this i would hope more people want to listen to this because it's it's a movie they've never heard of i got you. i would also hope that maybe this podcast has interested people enough to say let me make my own opinion watch the film sure. and see if you like it yeah field saying don't watch it i'm saying i'm not saying don't watch it i'm just i'm just saying if you're bored i warned you like I said, I was bored the first time, although I found I mean, there's a reason I put it on the list, even yeah. though it was boring the first time. I thought it was really interesting. I really enjoyed the plot. You know, there are things that stuck with me, like even though I remember things that weren't in the movie. I absolutely remember him trying to drown Drake Davy. I absolutely remembered Oliver Reed flying out of the house, which fun fact, I had read that the son actor who yeah. jumped out the window almost missed. Yeah, yeah, me like like if they didn't move the because they were down there with the pad. If yeah, they didn't move it. He would. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, Way to go, stunt guy. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You know, the movie does have its memorable moments, and it is an interesting, different movie. That's fine. Listen, they all can't be movies that we both gush over because then it would be very boring. Right. I also, part of me picked this movie because... Because I never seen it. I had never seen yeah, it. Yeah, I got you. And I knew it was forgotten as well. Like I know a lot of people don't talk about. It. Mm-hmm. I mean, we. I remember this movie. I couldn't remember the title. I was talking about this a few months ago with one of our um, coworkers at work, who's really into horror movies. And I was trying to explain the movie to him. I was like, "You probably know this movie. It's it's got a bunch of old actors. It's it's got this house. The house is like eating, like feeding on people, and blah blah blah." And he's like giving me like different movie titles. I'm like, no, that's a Miles. Nope, that goes. Nope, nope. And then he goes, "Burn Offerings." Yes. Who are you talking about? Uh, Spencer. Oh, oh, you mean Spencer Swindon from uh, You Can't Sit With Us? I, I believe that's they the have exact their own Spencer. podcast with the buddy John Duell, and they do a podcast where they go through horror movies a lot of times. They're good. They're funny. Check them out. You should, and then you should tell them to check us out because I know for a fact they don't listen to us. Maybe they'll watch Burn Offering. Or I'm listen just to Burn Offering. <laughs> no, now that they've heard what I've said about it, I don't think Spencer will listen. <laughs> we give him a shout out. <laughs> no, but that podcast is pretty funny. I listen to it all the time. Uh, it's it's good, so you should check it out. And and that is a nice segue. Into our plug. Yeah. Go, Mike. All right. So go, go, go. <laughs> I'm Mike Butler, and I have two other podcasts. One is Crack One Open with Mike and Elise, where we talk about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. We crack open a different beer uh, or alcoholic beverage. It doesn't necessarily have to be beer. Every week um, from a different brewery, a distillery, winery. We talk about where it's from, the history of the beverage, and the type and the style. We talk about tasting notes and then as we're sipping on that we talk about the latest in pop culture news and reviews so what's on tv what movies are coming out different production news from different cool things coming out and uh it's just a cool little uh half hour show where we kind of hang out then i've also got two player bros a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games where you join me and my brother alex what we talk about all things video games xbox playstation vr pc uh, we'll do pretty much everything but mobile games because mobile games kind of blow. Uh, although I know you're really into your golf game. Golf lately. clash. Yeah, I don't know why. Because work got boring and I couldn't do work, you know, writing work because, you know, people were around that wouldn't let me do that. So I had to do kill time some way. So uh, maybe if he makes me review golf, clash, not, you don't have to. Re- you don't have to review it. It's, <laughs> it's fine. But that is two player bros. Both of these podcasts, two player bros and crack. I went up with Mike and Elise are available wherever podcasts can be found. Yeah. Just go to my website, michaeldfield.com. I'm actually trying to redesign it, but you're not going to ever see any of that. So I'm doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so go check it out. Uh, all my stuff is there. Uh, the two things that I pimp constantly on this is by, uh, book series adam parker series so check that out you can go to amazon.com adam parker and the radioactive scout and adam parker and the high school bully uh books one and two and uh yeah please feel free to check them out read let me know drop a review let me know if they're bad or good that's it cool that's all i got if you like our podcast forgotten cinema please like rate review subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we're on apple Podcasts. we're on spotify we're on stitcher we're on google we're everywhere anywhere you want to listen that's where we'll be. Definitely drop a review because we like reviews. Yes. You can also find us on our website at ForgottenCinemaPod.com. No, it's ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. Email us. Or email us at ForgottenCinemaPod at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Let us know how we're doing. And we take suggestions. Yeah. So please, if you want to suggest a movie, feel free. And then if you suggest the movie, we've been talking about maybe like, you know, having you record like a. 30 second to a minute piece where you say why you suggested the movie. So you could be on this podcast. Ooh, if would you, you like su- that? If we choose your suggestion. So please, any way you can reach us, 
um, just, you know, suggest a film you think we should do. Odds are we might have it already on the list because the list doesn't stop growing. Yes. It's constant, constant, constant. That's kind of a monster in and of itself. <laughs> and so then join <laughs> us next week as we're going to wrap up our forgotten horror with the 2011, right? 2011? Yes. 2011 remake of Fright Night starring Colin Farrell, David Tennant. Uh, oh, I just blanked who else was in it. Anton Yelchin. Anton Yelchin. Uh, who plays the mother? She's in Tony Hereditary. Collette. Tony Collette. There we go. So, yeah, that's next week. Fright Night, the remake, not the original. Also the ori- starring McLovin. Good. Uh, <laughs> oh, not cool. But that's next week for, and as we wrap up Forgotten Horror. So, as we wrap up Forgotten Horror. So yeah, so that's next week. Uh, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Horror. Ooh. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Damn it. (laughs) Just leave the house.